Welcome to part two of episode two, where we give you our battle of the month, the Battle of Thermopylae. This was recorded in the same sitting as part one, so we are still joined by our special guest, Rob Coots. We've even got, by now, a jingle for Battle of the Month, courtesy of my brother Jack, so thanks to him, and we hope you enjoy the episode. So, Thermopylae. Fun. Just by way of brief introduction then, shall I just spell out the overview? Yeah. It's 480 BC in central Greece. Well, sort of north-ish Greece. Anniversary last year was 2,500 years. Yeah. Ah, yeah, of course. This clash basically happened 10 years after the Persian Emperor Darius attempted to subjugate Greece. He was fended off at the Battle of Marathon. Ten years later, Xerxes decides he wants to have a crack at it, so he leads a vast Persian invasion force across the Hellespont, or the modern Dardanelles, onto the European mainland, and he first encounters the Greeks at Thermopylae, where, where the Greek forces, led by Leonidas, managed to hold up the Persian advance for several days before the Persians were shown a sneaky route across the mountains, a little shepherd's path called the Anapia. Damn Ephialtes. Yeah, Ephialtes <laughs> gave the game away. And this then led to the famous annihilation of the Spartan-led forces at Thermopylae. A couple of key sources, Herodotus, Book 7, Diodorus Siculus and some others mentioned bits and bobs along the way. Mm. Just to sort of discuss quickly the location of Thermopylae itself. Thermopylae is translated from the Greek as hot gates after the hot sulphur springs that were nearby uh, for the hot part and gates because this was a narrow pass that the main route in antiquity from North Greece into Central and Southern Greece passed through this very narrow pass it was very narrow in antiquity, perhaps 30 metres or so wide between the mountains and the sea, which is something actually in the film 300, which we'll come to oh, in more one. detail later, something I didn't actually quite appreciate the first time watching it around. It has seen some fairly spectacular cliffs very nearby, which I assume to be some fabulous creation, but the sea was actually right there. Yeah. Because the sea's now receded, the sea, so you can't actually see it. It's a very different scene today, mm. partly because there's a huge road running slap bang through the middle of it uh, that links Athens and Greece's second city, Thessaloniki. But yes, also because there have been some significant geomorphological changes in the intervening centuries. So the coastline has actually receded about five kilometres to the north, so... It's no longer a sort of narrow mountain defile, rather a fairly broad coastal plain. So it looks very different today. Um, but there are still certain bits that evidence what an important pass this was in antiquity. There is still a low hill just by the pass, which is almost certainly where Leonidas and his Spartans and some others made their heroic last stand 
uh, that's detailed in the sources. And you can also see some big statues which have been erected by modern day Greece, including Simonides, a uh, small tribute to the Spartans, the famous go tell all the Spartans passerby that here, obedient to their laws, we lie. That's, that's there on a plaque uh, just by that hill. So quite different today to what it used to be, which is slightly disappointing perhaps. But uh, I think I remember yeah. flying over from Italy on that Greek trip that we all went on. And I think you can, you can still get the impression, because obviously in the plane you can see further. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can still see the hills and everything. Um, ah. It's quite cool. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would like to actually go to the site and yeah. check out what's actually there. Yeah. But yes, one of the least understood aspects, perhaps, of Thermopylae is the romanticisation <laughs> that there were just 300 Spartans holding the pass mm. against the, according to Herodotus, several millions of Persians. <laughs> Pretty good ratio. Were, mm. Yeah. Estimates for Persian forces yeah. are quite wild. Mm. And I think it's fair to say that Herodotus was rather exaggerating <laughs> his figures. Rob, what what did you come up with? For... Well, yeah, I, I um, the estimates of Persian forces are very wild as you say i think the lowest Many one millions indeed in the millions of course modern scholars have tried to then adjust accordingly whittle it down exactly i think the lowest one is like ninety thousand. um yes which is probably too low yeah we yeah. probably see that it's probably over a hundred thousand at least but that's anyone's guess really and of course yeah i mean herodotus is not very helpful this, this is no. uh quoting from herodotus and thus I arrive at my final estimate, which is that Xerxes, son of Darius, reached Sepius and Thermopylae at the head of an army consisting in all of 5,283,220 men, which is firstly bizarrely that... specific. <laughs> That's horrible um, to translate as well. Yeah. It's great numbers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, um... I read that somewhere a few years ago, you'd have to take my word for this, well, I'm not the one asserting this, but I read it somewhere that um, like Xerxes' invasion of Greece in total, so it, in, this is including the naval force at Artemisium, uh, which is happening at the same time, was mm. the largest ever invasion the world ever seen and was not beaten until D-Day in 1944. Wow. So wow. that puts it into perspective. And that's with yeah, that's his, like the modern estimates of numbers-wise. So there's not been a... I mean... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not asserting this is true, but this is based off modern estimates rather than Herodotus's five million number. Yeah. So. So I don't know what estimates are for population of the ancient world at that time, but you know that must be a pretty yeah. pretty significant proportion if it was five million. I think Xerxes was um, pretty annoyed after his dad had failed the first time around. But <laughs> yeah. Evidently, still, yeah, yeah. But no, it pissed against those. I, I just had a quick look at the numbers that Herodotus gives at the start of the battle. On the Greek side, I think, obviously, the biggest myth is, as you say, the three, whole 300 thing. There were 300 Spartans, but in addition to those, there were also 4,900 troops, um, yeah. not including the contingent from the Locrians of Opus. Um, Who sent all the men that they had. Indeed, yes. Nicely vague. Nicely vague. Yeah. So it must have been, you know, four million men, so that's why they were able to, you know. Yeah, balances it out. Yeah, exactly. Obviously that was still and, and that was just the that was just the advanced force as well. 
um, because yes. the Spartans were celebrating the Carnea, and I, th I think no one thought that the Persians would come for a while. But in the end... So they rather took them by surprise. Yeah, much quicker than expected. Spartans were very devout in their celebration of festivals. Cause I they were, yeah. They were also celebrating the Carnea, which prevented them contributing at Marathon ten years before. Yeah, they did kind of Handy. manage to yeah. excuse themselves from that one. Yeah. It's funny, you wish if any, you know, universities had the same attitudes, bank holidays or something, then, you know. Sorry, it's the... <laughs> if only. It's the Carnea, I'm not writing my essay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, sadly. But yeah, no, because I think in terms of the, well, I mean, Luke, you've kind of already given the outline of the events, but um, uh, the Persians arrived and um, the Greeks drew themselves up. Um, that there was a pass around the, the site they'd chosen, which I think the Phocians guarded. And, a thousand um, Phocians, I think. Lots of Phocians. Guys. I was about to say Phocians because it sounds more emphatic. Yeah. <laughs> you could be right. Oh, so, who knows? <laughs> it's not going to my. Trojan pronunciation from last time. <laughs> <laughs> so much flack about Trojan. <laughs> I enjoyed that last month. Yeah, and, and so the Persians threw themselves up to the Greeks and waited there four days. Finally engaged the Greeks on the fifth. Uh, and there was lots of heroic fighting. Greeks beat them off. Same thing on the sixth day when vassals joined again. His numbers were probably dwindling at this point. But the Greeks still holding up strong. But on that night, this chap called Ephialtes, who wants a big payoff from uh, Xerxes, offers to show him the pass. At that point, Herodotus goes in quite a, a, a sort of strange digression where he kind of then, there's a long debate about who exactly kills the guy later on. And he says, oh, no, but it wasn't because he betrays the Greeks, the Persians, it was because of some other reason, but the Spartans still like... Yeah, some personal feud. Yeah, exactly. But the Spartans, yeah, they like that anyway. Yeah, um, like, so they yeah, they honoured the guy that killed their faculties, regardless. Exactly, I mean it's, it's a bit like with the um, the Tyrannicides, isn't it? The killers of um, Hippias and Hipparchus, they're hailed as yeah. these heroes who got rid of tyrants. Really, I think like, and there was it was some kind of personal spat about something. They just didn't like him, didn't like them. Anyway, um, he, he accepts the money, takes them around this pass, clears the Cockians, and this leads this heroic final stand. It, essentially, what happens is that. Leonidas dismisses a loss of the forces. He lets them go, but he he thinks the either that or they run away because they know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sources aren't quite clear exactly. Indeed, how that yeah. played out. But yeah, he 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 lets them go. In quotation marks. But yeah, the three hundred Spartans remain behind, along with a few other Greeks. I, I can't. It's the uh, the Thespians, yeah. I think, okay. and the Thebans. The Thebans had very dubious loyalty. Yeah, yeah. I swear um, they supported yeah. Darius when they asked for yeah, food and water. Yeah, so Leonidas essentially held them captive at Thermopylae and forced them to to fight on on the Greek Just, side. But yeah, at, at forced this final suicide stand, pact. Yeah, yeah. Not but at, at the final stand, the Thespians and the Spartans fight to the death. I think, but the Thebans aren't having any of it, and they surrender and yeah. run off to the Persians. Yeah where they are promptly branded as slaves of the, the god-king. When it comes to that bit, so Aristodemus and Pantites, mm -hmm. these two guys who couldn't fight, Aristodemus because he had an eye infection, supposedly, Yeah. Uh, and Pantites had been sent as an envoy to Thessaly, 
and he then hanged himself. Yeah, he that's quite he'd, sad. he'd missed he'd missed the, the, the final showdown. But yeah. so were they was it actually three hundred and two, do we know? Or was it two nine eight? And they were <laughs> they were missing. I mean, I, this is really getting I I mean to be fair, like Herosis gives the figures to the nearest hundred um yeah. at the start. So it's probably just a, a rough estimate. Yeah, I know, isn't it? I know. But But it's a good question, you know. Like I, I guess the title two nine eight or three oh two isn't quite as catchy. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, but the impression I got was that, that, that it's that final stand um, when the Xerxes and the army have come round that is actually kind of the main inspiration because that's the point when mm. numbers are closer to 300 and yeah. it's just, you know, uh, stupid. You know, there's that thing about, um, you know, the arrow is blotting out the sun and yes. someone says, who is it? He, he says, you know, that now goes some shade to fight in, which is yeah. pretty... Yes, I think that's uh, nifty quote. Is it Dionysus? I think Herodotus right. names some of the Spartans uh, individually by name. Mm. Dionysus, who's credited with that yeah. laconic quip. The other laconic quip was Molon Labe, wasn't it? Oh yes, yeah. Iconic, iconic line. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I feel like, for those of you who don't know, means well when when Leonidas Leonidas was asked to lay down there arms by Xerxes, he said Molon Labe, which means come and take them. Yeah, Plutarch records that, I think, in a book called The Sayings of Spartans. <laughs> I saw actually, as a little digression, that some radical politicians in America had appropriated that phrase yeah. for guns and yeah, gun rights in America recently. Place, yeah, and this I saw this yeah. crazy senator in the house was wearing a face mask with the words Molon Labe on. And I was just wow. like, uh, yeah, infuriating. Yeah. But perhaps more appropriately, it was actually used as the official motto of one of the regiments in the Greek army. Oh, um, was nice. Until it was, it was only disbanded, I think, in the early two thousands, which is perhaps slightly more legitimate use of Molon Lab. Yeah, I think so. And of course, there's that fight around Leonidas's body, isn't there? Yeah, he's killed in the fighting and. On the fifth attempt or something, they managed to recover. They, yeah, they dragged it back. Yeah, yeah, which is um, quite similar actually. Last time when we were looking at Varus's destruction in Tuesburg, there's there's a bit of noise made about the fact that I think it's in Florus that there was some great struggle over the body of Varus, and this also has Homeric associations. Everything links back to Homer. Very much so. In the struggle for Patroclus's body after he's been killed. Hector, that's in book seventeen, I think, of the Iliad. There's a, a long yeah. struggle for his body, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps this is Herodotus getting excited, and I think yeah. so. But yeah, because be there's, there's a big thing, isn't there, about Homeric influence in the historians, and yeah, I think that might be one way he's taking a set yeah. piece, and yeah, yeah. Supposedly, also, um, I think the day before the final showdown, the Persians saw. The Spartans were perfuming their hair and their bodies. Like, oh yes, again, yes, quite yes. Homeric, and they were. Yeah, like, Xerxes yeah. was very confused by this. And apparently, it's because the Spartans were preparing for death and the afterlife, and they want their bodies to be clean and immaculate and look good, yeah, and die with a young corpse. So yeah, um, that was explained apparently to Xerxes by this guy Demaratus, who was an ex-king of Sparta, who'd been ousted and had sought refuge in, in the Persian court. So he accompanied Xerxes and, yeah, he explained to him when all the Persians were so confused that the Spartans were just sitting around combing their hair and doing some naked gym work. 
Yeah. Uh, I wonder what on earth they're up to. Just aggressively Greek. Uh, should we go on to 300? Yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, actually, fun fact before we do that. Um, there there was a second battle off Mopoli. Oh, I don't know if you're oh, familiar wow, with this. Was, I was going to have that. God. Oh. <laughs> when was this? This was in 191 from Rightledge. AD or BC? Uh, BC. BC. And it was between the Romans and King Antiochus III. Oh, yeah. Was it a good battle? Was it a good battle, or was it not very? I, I I'm not too good on details. I I, I just I spotted this. Um, I now. do happen to know the details. Why don't oh, you go um, elaborate, please? So Thermopylae was always seen as this strategic pass that could be held against massively outnumbering opposing forces. But it always had this weak point, the Anapia, that mountain pass, which proved to be the undoing of the Spartans in 480 BC. And similarly, proved to be the undoing of Antiochus III in 191, mm. because Cato, who was commanding the forces, uh, the Roman forces, remembered that this is how the Spartans were overcome. So he, under the cover of darkness, led some of his troops over the pass, found uh, a small contingent guarding it, easily overwhelmed them, and then got round behind Antiochus's forces and caused them to rout in total disarray and chaos. And there was even another battle of Thermopylae. Oh, no. In Not a third 279 one. BC. Oh, this is the Gauls, wasn't it? This is the Gauls, yeah. yeah. So this is... Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, this is <laughs> handed down to us by Pausanias in his description of Greece. So there were a, a marauding band of Gauls basically invaded the Balkans and actually got as far south as Delphi. Uh, but the Greek forces opposing them had mustered at Thermopylae under an Athenian general called Callippus, and the Gauls got stuck because the Greeks were holding up the pass, but then some of the locals basically didn't want the Gauls to settle in their territory, so they showed them the pass over the mountains. And similar to the Spartans, they found themselves fighting in the shade as well, actually. Um, Pausanias says... It so happened that on that day the mist rolled thick down the mountain, darkening the sun so that the Phocians who were guarding the pass, it seems always to be the Phocians guarding the pass, so that the Phocians guarding the pass found the barbarians upon them before they were aware of their approach. Thereupon the Gauls attacked. The Phocians resisted manfully, but at last were forced to retreat from the path. And that was the undoing of the Greeks there. So, Well, if you can't learn from history... I was about to say, yeah, surely. People should stop defending for Third time. Yeah, typical. Well, some similar battles, not geographically, but um, of a similar nature. The most famous to us Brits, I'm sure, will be Rourke's Drift, made famous in the film Zulu, um, amongst many other things. The difference here being the underdogs actually won. I guess they did have the benefit of having rifles as opposed to the Zulu spear and shield, but somewhat similar. In America, I'm sure they'll be much more familiar with the Battle of the Alamo, um, against Mexican Mexican forces down in Texas, uh, the, I'm pretty sure the Americans lost this one. But that's become a key battle in American history that a lot of patriotic people like to draw attention to. Um, and then a slightly less well known one is the Battle of Wisner in 1939, where the Germans invaded Poland. And I think this was before Warsaw was taken. But a band of between 350 to 720 Polish soldiers held off like an entire German army for literally like at least a day, I think, if not more. 
which was monumentally impressive, especially yeah. when this is the time of Blitzkrieg. Obviously, in the end, it didn't really matter, given the Germans just steamrolled them. But it was still pretty heroic, given what befell Poland. Um, in yeah, I think I actually came across time. that when I was perusing the yeah. Wikipedia page for Thermopylae. There's a list of other Thermopylae. Yeah, literally. And I think I think yeah. that one's listed as the Polish Thermopylae. Yeah, it's the, yeah. the Poles. The Poles had to deal with a lot, and it's in a similar way that Thermopylae is often used as a symbol of Greek defiance. Yeah, I think that's pretty famous in Polish history. I hadn't heard of it before, but um, yeah, I mean, it's also very different with the the modernization in the twentieth century and you know, tanks and machine guns, but still, to hold off for that long was pretty impressive, I think. So shout out to the Polish army. Mm. And yeah, and in even more modern times, not a battle, but I'm sure most of you know it through the film 300. I think, well, I can't really think of a more famous battle from the ancient world in the modern world, if that makes sense. I think if you were to ask, yeah, yeah, everyone, name a battle from the ancient world, they would say Thermopylae, reference to film 300. And that's where yeah. they get their historical um, well, assertions from, which is not true, but no. it's better than nothing. We can't, we can't um, be too picky. Yeah. It gets some interest in the ancient world. Yeah. Obviously, the key... Well, the thing is, they, they obviously they run with the just 300, but they do come across, on the way to Thermopylae, was it the Thespians? They come across another band of Greeks. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, this is the what's-your-fashion thing, isn't it? Yeah, that scene. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which, um, interestingly, there, there is actually a parallel to that in Herodotus somewhere. So let me just find that. Maybe 300 is not so inaccurate after all. Mm. Well, yeah. Yes, here it is. So, in the film 300, Leonidas is across <laughs> the Arcadians. Herodotus. I thought, sorry, I thought you were quoting um, from Herodotus there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was foretelling a great film. Yeah, sorry. No, so so in, the, in the film, Leonidas is accosted by the Arcadians on his approach to Thermopylae and is criticised for not bringing enough soldiers, right? And and they, the Spartans' response to that is, what is your profession? And, you know, it's all very heroic. They're clearly soldiers. Uh, in Herodotus, he, um, he says that after Xerxes' initial attacks, which proved completely hopeless I quote they made it plain to anyone and not least to the king himself that he had in his army many men indeed but few soldiers which is essentially mm. what Leonidas tells the Arcadians but I, w- I wonder if uh, mm. some historical advisor at 300 read that little nugget and thought they'd like to include Squeezed it, it in. they portray Ephialtes in him I mean yeah. the dude's a, a traitor but they really did him dirty with the whole physical deformities and yeah, he's also everything. not from Sparta. Yeah, Ephialtes was from mm. Trachis, which was yeah. a nearby town, I think. Mm. Um, but they run with the whole thing about how he can't fit in the hoplite wall and yeah, to mm. try and explain it, which I think for the purposes of a film is actually pretty yeah neat. Although it's just the fact that he's so deformed makes it so unrealistic. But yeah. I mean, you do get a, f- a few sort of fairly fantastical things in in the film. Yeah, I saw, and then he gets taken into that tent, and he starts seeing people with like goats' heads and and like oh, weird yeah, sexual stuff. acts, and it's like, yeah. what's going on here? But then in um, in parts of Herodotus, so he Herodotus does mention that he will include rumors, I suppose, from distant parts of the world. Um, I can remember yeah. reading some part of Herodotus a few years ago about how he was describing some ants that 
dig for gold and they're like the size yeah. of dogs or something. Yeah. In India, isn't it? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Basically yeah. far enough away for people to go, oh, it must be yeah. know, such an Could alien world that it's believable. Mm. Yeah, so I, I, that's a fairly Herodotean inclusion, I suppose. Yeah, along, and then they have the... There's, there's a massive rhino at some point and some elephants the size of Mamakai. And then they have, like, the weird brute guy who doesn't have a hand, but he has, like, this oh, weird yeah. sword attached to his arm and he... Yeah. He's like looks like he's on steroids yeah. and he's charging around and then Leonidas jewels him and puts his sword midway through his yeah. bicep. I suppose it just like, captures the whole sort of Greek attitude that non Greeks, especially yeah. in the Persian Empire, yeah. are so far away and so fantastical that it's all really weird, basically. Mm. They include the immortals too, which they do have the immortals. Yeah, they really. Yeah, they have those masks. Don't well, they 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 they're, yeah they fa- they cover up the faces and they look they look like, very menacing. Yeah. yeah, and and Herodotus does say that those are the guys, as the the immortals that that get led across the mountain pass. Yeah, and also according to Herodotus, they didn't in their initial assault, the immortals didn't really fare any better than the Medes or or the other Persian troops. So there are some some fairly mm. accurate parts in the film. The the film though does remind me of Lord of the Rings actually. You know, with the the, the battle outside the gates of Mordor. Like, yeah, overwhelming odds in some ways. Especially because um, you've got Faramir playing one of the Spartans, one of the yeah. Spartans. Oh yeah, true. David Wenham <laughs> playing yeah. Dilios, who I don't think is a name recorded in Herodotus, but mm. he does make a feature. Yeah, it's a pretty star-studded lineup to be fair. Cersei yeah, as Queen Gorgo, Gerard Butler as Leonidas. I've never actually seen the the sequel. No, I was going to say, I haven't haven't seen it either. I feel like, because it got bad reviews, and also, even just the name seems so inaccurate. Rise of an Empire. Yeah, that just makes no sense. Well, I'm assuming (laughs) that it's related, because I think think the sequel deals with a sea battle, so that's probably... Yeah, I think it has... I think it's Salamis. I think it is Salamis, yeah. Yeah. But, like, Queen Gorgo gets involved... Queen Gorgo's like on the ship. I thought I saw in like the trailer. Yeah, it's like, I'm well, sure this is not. But also, how is it the uh, maybe yeah. maybe we're being ignorant and there is maybe they maybe they go into the consequences of the Peloponnesian War or something. But I doubt it. Well, I think it, I think it must <laughs> um, lead to the rise of the Athenian Empire through. Yeah, but if it's the whole yeah, thing is about Sparta, the first one, then I struggle to see how they'll suddenly bring in an Athenian cast and say, "Oh, look at this, it's different." Because also at the end, mm. at the end of the first film, they do Plateau, or they start Plateau. That's the ending yeah, scene, right. isn't it? So yeah. it'd be weird to go back to Salamis and then, yeah, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know how they've juggled yeah, that time. Yeah, true. I guess it's mm, artistic license or something. I don't know. Plateau follows yeah. on better from yeah. Salamis. Yeah. Yeah, from, I don't. Th- yeah, properly. I don't think yeah. most people who go and see Three Hundred are more too concerned <laughs> about historical inaccuracies. Yeah. Mm. I would be impressed they make you know the Athenian Empire into something really kind of fantastical and amazing because it's yeah not the most fantastical and amazing thing. Um, it's just the Spartan mirage. They can take liberties because we don't know what yeah. the Spartans thought for the mm, most part. Exactly. So maybe maybe they did think the Athenians were a bunch of Oriental people with weird creatures and God knows what, but I doubt yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, who knows? There are a couple of other nice little features in the film though that I was relatively impressed that they actually thought to include um so when lena heady's character queen gorgo sends off leonidas on his way to thermopylae she calls after him spartan come home with the shield or upon it mm. which is actually 
attributed to Spartan women in one of Plutarch's uh, Moralia essays. So that, that was apparently a commonly used phrase in Sparta. Also, before the Persians finally overcome the Spartans, uh, Leonidas looks around at his men and shouts out, Spartans, ready your breakfast and eat hurry, for tonight we dine in hell. Although uh, Gerald Butler does a much more epic version yeah. of that. But that is also attested in the sources. Uh, Diodorus has as follows, and Leonidas, welcoming the eagerness of his soldiers, ordered them to prepare their breakfast quickly, since they would dine in Hades. And Peter yeah. says something basically to the same effect. So I think there must have been someone reading their ancient sources. Yeah. I think also the, the, the very start of the battle, where they kind of clash shields and the Spartans hold their formation, that I think is historically accurate. Yeah, it's how hoplite warfare is fought. Obviously not the yeah. dancing around afterwards. It's when they start breaking out afterwards. Yeah, yeah it's a bit... Yeah, that's, that, It's just anyone who knows how hoplite warfare works is just tearing yeah. their hair out. Being yeah. like, no, no, this is not how you hold the hot gates. But Yeah. But, you know, at least they start there. And at least the, th- the thing of Ephialtes implies that as well. So, yeah. I wonder what happened if they employed the Sarissa. I wonder how effective yeah, that true. would have been. Yeah, true. Yeah, goodness. Well, I don't, I don't think longer pikes would have made too much of a difference, actually. I guess because... Because they would have had um, less armour, yeah. so the arrows yeah, so could I think it's, dealt with them. I think Herodotus was explaining somewhere that basically the Spartans held out so well, and, and the other Greeks, they held out so well because they had longer spears than the Persians, and they just had more armour as well. So a lot of the Persian troops were attacking with wicker shields and swords, or just really short spears. Um, mm. So the the Greek hoplite phalanx was just robust enough to shrug them off, basically. Yeah, yeah. especially if you've yeah. still got like up to five thousand dudes in a thirty meter pass, the weight yeah. that you can get behind you is still significant to hold off. You know, a million. If there's if there's a million Persians, they're not going to suddenly swarm like a group of zombies. Like they're going to stand back. And you can keep rotating people, can't you? So you know, people don't. Get yeah, exactly. You've got enough to do that yeah. effectively. Yeah, they did that. Some, somewhere in the sources as well, um, it's probably Herodotus again, explains that each of the contingents from the different cities sort of took their turn in fighting the formation at the front. They took turns resting and fighting. So you can see how it would have just about worked if they hadn't got flanked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also they do include the Simonides' little two-liner. Yes, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, it's in Faramir's speech. Yes, uh, at the very team. end. That is actually the Simonides epitaph we mentioned earlier in, yeah, in his good. stirring epic speech. Yeah, yeah it is great. Yeah. Another little detail that sneaks its way in there. I thought it might be interesting just to mention a couple of other famous 300s from mm. antiquity. Yeah. Ooh. It seems like this was a number that ancient soldiery seemed to like. Oh, is is there the um three hundred of the chosen warriors between um Sparta and Argos. Argos, yes, that's the one. Yeah, so this is this is a strange battle. It's the Battle of the Champions in five four six BC. So essentially Sparta had nabbed a bit of land from Argos and uh they didn't like it. So they rather than committing full armies, agreed to throw three hundred picked champions against each other. And um, it was so closely fought that two Argives survived and one Spartan, and they went home at the end of the day. But because both sides claimed victory, the two main armies came back the next day 
and basically started having an argument. And Herodotus reads as follows: the argument ended in blows, and a fresh battle began, in which <laughs> after severe classic. losses on both sides, the Spartans were victorious. So, despite their fun little engagement the day before, they ended up throwing in their full armies and pulverizing each other. Interestingly, though, um, after this defeat, the Argives, who whose custom it had been to grow their hair long, cut it short and made it an offence among their people to grow it long. Conversely, the Spartans, who used not to grow their hair long, from that time they began to do so. Says Herodotus. Yeah. So that is basically the where they started growing their hair long for battle, which is what so confused Xerxes as he watched the Spartans at Thermopylae combing their hair before battle. Mm. I just have that. I just have an image of the Spartan at the Battle of Champions, just like the um, knight in the Holy Gra- Monty Python's Holy Grail. You know where it's. Um, <laughs> come yeah. back! Come back! I'm not done. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in 420, actually, 420 BC, in a lull in the Peloponnesian War, Argos actually challenged Sparta to a rematch. No way. Um, but Sparta declined, which is probably sensible. Yeah, sad to say. Yeah. Sensible. Goes to penalties yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then the the other famous three hundred I thought I'd mention is the Theban Sacred Band. Oh um, yes, yes. Um, this was an elite force of the Theban army formed likely in three seven nine or three seven eight BC. Were they all like gay lovers? Like mm. they were. It mm. was one hundred and fifty pairs of male lovers. Yeah. And Strengthens their, their bond. Yeah, and their predominance began after the Battle of Leuctra in three seven one whereby the Theban sacred band basically crushed the, the Spartans' Spartans, yeah. uh, hoplites, and that paved the way towards a period of Theban hegemony over the Greek peninsula, essentially. And it wasn't until Chironia, the Battle of Chironia in mm. 338 BC, that they were annihilated by uh, Philip II of Macedon and his son, the future Alexander the Great. Mm. Um, and it was because there they had the Sarissa the really long Macedonian pike. Mm -hmm. Their phalanx basically just smashed through the traditional Greek hoplite wall. Wasn't there a famous cavalry charge in that battle as well that Alexander led? Yeah, Alexander might have been in charge of the cavalry at Chironia. But the the Theban sacred band at Chironia famously, just like the Spartans at Thermopylae, didn't give any ground. So the rest Mm. of the Theban army ran and fled, but the sacred band according to Plutarch all 300 of them fell alongside their commander Theagenes and then Philip came along and inspected the corpses after the battle he wept and exclaimed perish any man who suspects that these men either did or suffered anything disgraceful so even after having vanquished them Philip had great admiration for these brave 300 it's very similar to Waterloo when the old guard, Napoleon's old guard, are surrounded. Yeah, pretty um, much the same thing. And they refuse to give in. It's in the film. I'm pretty sure it's all, it was what happened too. But, um, yeah, another yeah. elite unit going down fighting. Yeah. So there we are. I think that concludes our ramblings from Thermopylae. Anything else to add, chaps? No. Don't think so. Just kudos to those Spartans. I think it's fair to say that the Spartans in particular, certainly did win themselves eternal glory going down in their heroic last stand. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. 
and thanks as well to Rob for joining us. Pleasure. We have enjoyed your words of wisdom. And Will and I will see you next time. Cheerio. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say. Oh, well, yeah, well, I say. Yeah, well, I say.